welcome to the water cooler. As you can see, I am not David Brody, but I am filling in for the one and only the irreplaceable David Brody for the next couple of days while he's out on a well-deserved vacation. So it's Monday, December 28th, and we are nearing the end of 2020. Folks might be on vacation. I'm working from home, but that doesn't mean the news stopped. And so we are going to get right into it and first talk about the Trump COVID bill. So President Trump yesterday signed into law the massive COVID stimulus bill, $2.3 trillion with the T dollars. We're going to talk about what is in that bill and get more to that. Also over to Nashville, where the Nashville bomb that rocked the city Christmas morning, what was the motive? We're going to dig in and find out more on that. And also Purdue versus Loeffler down in Georgia. We are approaching the Georgia Senate runoff on January 5th. Lots to unpack on this Senate race. And joining me to break it all down is Julio Gonzalez. He is national tax reform expert, author, and member of the Presidential Tax Reform Roundtable. Good morning. Hey, Julio. Hey, good morning. Great to see you. Hey, good to see you. So, Julio, what about this COVID bill? Because the president had said that he didn't like that there were so many giveaways, there were so many Christmas table items here that really had nothing to do with being very targeted for COVID. You had 1.3 trillion or billion, I believe, with a B for Egypt, for example. You had lots of other tens, hundreds of millions of dollars going to foreign countries. The president said he didn't like that. But was he basically forced to do this? Well, I think so. I mean, listen, I think if you look at the history of all bills that are passed, clearly, you know, that's uh, something you would see with every bill, right? There's so many things that get added into every bill. At, and when bills are up for voting, you know, the lobbyists run to D.C. and try to get their uh, benefits in. And that's how congressmen raise their, their money, right, and get elected is through these, you know, things, these favors they do to get things on the bill, right, like the excise tax, like some of the things you said about Egypt and things of that nature. So not surprising. And President Trump, I'm glad he called it out. I'm glad he said, you know, this bill has so much, you know, stuff in there that no one would vote for. and Listen, we need more of that money to go to the individuals here in the United States, the citizens, versus money going outside the country. So I'm glad he called it out. But again, not uh, unexpected of any bill that we see get passed up in D.C. Well, yes, you're right. And the president's saying that he wanted families to get $2,000 or at least $2,000 per person. So you know, a mom and dad could each get $2,000, possibly even $2,000 for the kids. And this is for people who are making $75,000 or less. It looks like, and I want to hear your take, do you think that the president is going to get this? Because I just had someone earlier on my program this morning, Just the News AM, who Joe Grogan, who was the former domestic policy chief for President Trump, he said he doesn't think that it's likely. He doesn't think it's likely that we're going to get the $2,000 because what the president signed was only $600. What say you? Well, I say that it probably will happen. So I would take the opposite view. I think that ultimately there will be more money that gets pushed out in another stimulus bill to the public. So I think ultimately we understand that that's a good investment of the uh, taxpayer dollars to get money out to the individuals that who desperately need it. And I think the President Trump was right on on this. And listen, I think President Trump still has a lot of influence, and uh, I think his influence will shine through here. I mean, you said he was he forced? Yeah, he was forced because he didn't want government to be closed down. He didn't want individuals to not have anything. He wanted to make sure that the businesses 
at the expense of the PPP and that there was another additional round of PPP. He wanted to make sure they got employer tax credits to decouple from the PPP so the businesses could have both of them. So all those were really important to him. What was not important to him was sending money overseas and not giving that same money to the individuals. But again, I think he still has tremendous influence, and I think he'll do something to make sure that other individuals get some more money. And what about this, since you are a tax expert, for our viewers, can they expect to get this $600 check before the end of the year, or do you think it's going to roll over in 2021? Yeah, I don't see how it gets to anyone by the uh, end of the year here. So I would think it would roll over. And listen, it's a couple of days of rollover. But from a tax perspective, it's probably good for all the individuals as well, because you still have a taxable event when you get funds like this. So look, I think that uh, no chance that it just magically shows up in everyone's account by Thursday, Friday. But, you know, they're saying that that could happen. But my, my guess is likely it happens within the next couple of weeks. Hey, Santa can go around the world in one night. It's possible. <laughs> Santa's not the government. <laughs> sure. Private sector. So, but let's talk That's about true. the amount, though, because uh, $75,000 or less for people who are making $75,000 or less, is that based on the 2019 tax year or is that based on how much you make this year in terms of that threshold? Because it's only for people $75,000 or below that you're going to get that money. Right. So it's based on 2019 tax filings. And so, again, I mean, it's better than nothing, right? We certainly wanted the 2000 like the president did. And I think ultimately, hopefully, that that gets accomplished. But 600, at least that gets into the system and, uh, and help the economy. I mean, listen, we're, we're looking at a Great Depression if we don't get more money to the individuals to get the economy going. And certainly that's a step in the right uh, direction. And if you're not sure if you qualify or not, will you, do you, does everybody automatically get the money and then would it get clawed back if they were making too much? Is that how it works or they just wouldn't get it to begin with? Well, I haven't seen any clawbacks from any of the other money dispersed. So I think basically they go off the record, send out the money, and uh, they don't have time for clawbacks and things of that nature. So uh, I don't think they would even have an ability to do the clawbacks. Not even April of 2021, so if it's coming April, do you think we'll see clawbacks? No, I don't, I don't think we'll see clawbacks. I mean, look at everything the IRS has to do in terms of digesting 5,600 new pages of tax law and additional laws coming. Um, and they don't have the system set up. But listen, you know, they have some money that's going to be coming to them down the road for AI and you know, artificial intelligence and doing things that allow them to do more of these clawbacks down the road. But I don't think it's going to happen with this bill. All right. Well, I want to get your take on something, Julio, because you've done a lot with President Trump and Latinos for Trump. We did see a big increase for Latinos for Trump, also African-Americans for Trump and Asians for Trump. But I want to ask you specifically, because you work with Latino, Latinos for Trump, do you think that the support for the Republican candidate this go around a big bump between 2016 to 2020, do you think this will extend beyond Trump the man? Is it more of a movement at this point or is it really just people wanted him? Well, I think they definitely wanted him, but I think it's something that will continue because I think the message finally got, came across that, you know, that we uh, what's important to us is what's important 
important to the uh, Conservative Party and President Trump, which is, you know, the freedom of religion, the ability to have small businesses with low taxation, with low, you know, regulations, and to have tariffs to protect us here as small business owners. And I think all of those finally resonated. I think Trump did a masterful job making us understand that. And maybe the party hadn't done that in the past, but certainly that message came loud and clear. And uh, I think that's a message we're carrying forward as a Latino group. And uh, I don't think that that necessarily changes anytime soon because I do think finally, you know, the message came across that you know, we need lower income taxes to grow our businesses. We need to have good levels of regulations, not overabundant regulations. And having the tariffs there and having a safe border as well. Listen, we came here legally, especially uh, throughout the country. And we know that process and we're happy to uh, make sure that that gets passed on to all generations that if you want to be here, you come here legally and do it the right way. And uh, and listen, we came from Venezuela, we came from Cuba, right? We came from all these socialistic countries and we saw what Biden was doing with, you know, the uh, progressive laws that he was trying to put into place, which is to kind of re-invoke socialism. Well, we worked hard to get from those countries where they had socialism to a country that didn't have it. So. I mean, if the uh, progressive left, you know, really takes place, if we lose Georgia and they, you know, try to invoke some of these socialistic type of laws, I think you'll see the Latino community continue to rise for uh, conservative values and certainly for President Trump. What's interesting you mentioned Georgia because we just saw the archives that Raphael Warnock, who is one of the Democrats running in the race, he hosted at his church Fidel Castro the man who many Cuban-Americans shudder when they think of him or see his face. What do you think is going to happen? Do you think this will sway the Latino vote in Georgia? I don't know how it could. I mean, if you're a Latino and you understand and you've been educated on that situation, right? I mean, that guy, Fidel Castro, really was the reason for so many, so much suffering in the Cuban community, and certainly expanded to Venezuela and other parts of South America. So for any one of us to support that person who hosted Fidel Castro, I mean, I, I don't see how that could be anything else but us voting, you know, R on January 5th. Well, and there's also the video that reportedly his wife has put out or a police call that she had make family matters a, a, a media spectacle, but this is a public record because the police were called and there were police cameras there to suggest that he has been accused of some sort of domestic disturbance. And his wife has said that he's very good at putting on a show, but he's a very different man behind closed doors. What's your read on that tape? Well, I agree with you. I don't know how he could even be tied in the polls right now. I mean, it's just disgraceful. And uh, certainly his acts are part of that whole progressive socialistic view on citizens and people and, and individuals. And uh, I don't know how anyone could vote knowing those things. But listen, it's kudos to you and your program for getting that information out there because not everyone is aware of it. And that awareness hopefully makes the difference in a few days here and uh, saves the Senate. And then saving the Senate will do right. a lot for all of us. All right. Thank you, Julio Gonzalez. We'll see you soon. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. 
Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey there. Welcome back to The Water Cooler. As you can see, I am not David Brody, but I am hosting here from the holidays, home from the holidays. And we have Robbie Starbuck, who is a friend of the show, joining us again. He is a Hollywood producer and host of Grow Up Live. Good morning, Robbie. Good morning. Thank you for having me on. How are you doing today? So doing well, Robbie. Walk us through what's happening there on the ground, because you're in Nashville, and we've been reporting here over the weekend of the sad news out of Nashville. There's a bombing that happened on Christmas morning. We do know that reportedly the Nashville suspect, he acted alone, and he died during this RV explosion. And the authorities say that it looks like he definitely acted alone and that he perished in the blast. We know that at this point, no other people have perished in the blast. What's the mood there in Nashville? You know, I think a lot of people are sort of at a a place where they're just thankful that there was not a huge loss of life. Because when you see, you know, situations like this overseas, we're used to seeing a car bomb or RV bomb of this magnitude costing, you know, maybe 100 lives or more. So I think, you know, we have to give a really big round of applause to our law enforcement. The police chose to run in there when they knew that a bomb was going to go off. Well, at least they thought they knew that with the sound that was playing before the bomb. For those who don't know, there was a sound playing beforehand that was saying that it was going to detonate in 15 minutes. They went in, they ran inside, and they saved everybody that was in apartments um, above those those uh, storefronts there. So that's huge. That's incredible because you think back to what police have been put through over the last year. Imagine if their budgets had been cut. If they had had those police defunded, would they have had enough bodies there to get everybody out? And I think the answer to that is they may not have. So um, that's one of the incredible good things we can take from this is that our law enforcement did such a great job. What was the sentiment? Was there a big push to defund the police in Nashville? I mean, we saw it in other big cities. Yeah. So, I mean, definitely in the, you know, Nashville is a blue city in terms of the mayor's a Democrat um, and a lot of the city council. So um, you look at that. Yes, there was a big push, but I think that um, the overall temperature of Tennessee made it very difficult for them to move ahead with a large defunding of police. Um, So, you know, you look at a state like Tennessee where it's we, we're also a very red state. And I think that there's the understanding that seat that um, our, our mayor and our congressman from that area are both Democrats. And I think there's an understanding that with redistricting coming up, we're looking at a much more um, Republican district in the future. And they're going to have to uh, be cognizant of that as we head into 2022. So I think that may play a role in why they didn't go ahead with it. Well, speaking of districts, perfect segue for me there, Robbie. Let's talk about your district that you are planning. You've announced that you are putting your hat in the ring for Congress. You put out a tweet even where you said, I'm humbled by the massive support I've received so early on my road to run for Congress. I'll always unabashedly believe in freedom, faith, the importance of family, and I'll fight for working people and small businesses to have the great future they deserve. So you kicked off your campaign. And the Epoch Times, our friends over there, they ran a headline calling you a 
a quote, a new kind of Republican candidate. What makes you a new kind? I think, you know, in large part, it refers to the fact that I don't come from the, you know, typical D.C. elite um, universities from the law background, from all that. I come from a creative background. So I look at things a little bit outside of the box um, from what, you know, you would typically find with politicians. Outside of that as well, you know, um, I think that I come from more of a focus where I want to fight for working people than um, from corporations. And I think that's something in the past we saw with some of the establishment Republicans, your Mitt Romneys of the world, whereas I'm more, you know, from the school of thought where the president is from, where, you know, we need to fight for the working class because if we fight for them, we're going to have, you know, um, everything's going to get lifted up by that. And your family of a family with Cuban-American roots, and you put out an interesting tweet with the video from Raphael Warnock. He's one of the Democratic Senate candidates there in Georgia. And you pointed out that there was a visit by Fidel Castro getting a standing ovation. You took offense to that. Why? It's just, it's disgusting. Anybody, anybody who's a Cuban-American or anybody who knows Cuban-Americans, um, Fidel Castro and his men, they killed innocent people. They stole everything from our families. They beat and imprisoned people for the crime of just not agreeing with communism or not agreeing with socialism. Um, and they invited that monster into their church. And they not only did that, they, they, they stood up and they clapped for him. Um, and I just, um, I don't think there's anything more extreme than bringing a murderer and a thief into a church and giving him a standing ovation. So um, that was disgusting. I think it's a good example of Warnock's wife recently said, um, you know, in that video that came out of her reporting him to the police that he's a great actor. He puts on a great show. This is a great example of the curtain coming down and you seeing what's behind the act. He's an extremist. He always has been an extremist and he's far too extreme for Georgia. Um, in the South, you know, we're not friendly to communism. We're not friendly to socialism. And I think, you know, hopefully Georgia voters, enough of them see this video and they see how extreme he truly is. And talk a little bit more about your Cuban family. And then also we saw the rise in the support for President Trump from 2016 yeah. to 2020. This is in spite of all of the media claiming that the president was a racist, that he hated Mexicans, that he hated any Latino and thought that they were all rapists and the like. But you actually saw Latino support went up for the president. What did you hear from your family members? And do you think that the support is permanent for the Republican Party? It will extend beyond just Trump the man. I, I love this question. So um, on the Cuban side, that's easy. We are uh, a, in large part as a, as a block group, very, very, very uh, conservative group. We are very politically active because of what happened to our families in Cuba. Um, so that's kind of a no brainer. But what's amazing is that support, that rise in support, it went across all Latinos um, and also uh, black Americans. This went across minority groups with President Trump, which is part of the incredible thing when you look at the election is he boosted his support among all those groups and somehow they say he lost. Um, you know, that's something that should make everybody question the results that we've been told. But outside of that, why that happened, um, yes, the messaging was the best it's ever been from a candidate. And is that support permanent? It is if you have candidates who are fighting for them. Trump made that very clear in his pitch to Latinos and to Black Americans that he was fighting for them, he was listening, and that they had a seat at the table. As long as that's the case in the future, yes, that support is going to not only be permanent, it's going to grow. But um, you have to continue that messaging. You have to continue fighting 
And that's one of the things Our, I plan to do here in Nashville. Robbie, we're gonna leave it right there. Thanks so much. Stick with us folks, we'll be right back. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hey, everybody, and welcome back here to Water Cooler. As you can see, I am not David Brody. Can anybody play a Beyonce song? Irreplaceable. He's irreplaceable. But I'm just filling in while he takes some much-needed vacation time. And joining me is Ted Harvey. He is chairman of the Committee to Defend the President. He's got a new ad buy that we're going to talk about. Hey there, Ted. Good morning. How are you? Hey, doing well. So you guys have about a half million with an M ad buy for Leffler and Purdue, the two Republicans there in Georgia. The Senate runoff is coming really quick. It's coming up election day on January 5th. So this started on December 26th. And you've got an NFL, former NFL star, Herschel Walker in the ad. Tell us more about it. Yes, the election is a week from tomorrow. And so we are trying to do everything we can to get every Trump supporter out in Georgia to get out and vote. Um, This is an important election. If we don't win these two Senate seats, we won't control the Senate. So we are doing everything we can as the committee to defend the president to um, support these two senators and and get them in there to protect the president, protect his legacy moving forward. Um, And Anybody who's in Georgia knows that one of the greatest legends of Georgia football is uh, Herschel Walker. And when we were trying to think of who we could get to help motivate these Trump supporters, we reached out to Herschel and and uh, he immediately agreed to, to be a part of this effort. He is a huge Trump supporter and spoke at the Republican National Convention. He um, was a Heisman Trophy winner at the University of Georgia and picked the team to win the first national championship. So he is a legend there, and it's a, it's an important ad buy, and we're going to put over a half million dollars into this in the, in the last two weeks of this election cycle. It's getting to be a nail-biter. What do you think it's going to hinge on? Do you think it's going to hinge on mail-in ballots? Because that seems to be what happened with the presidential. Well, that's definitely what the Democrats are pushing. Um, over a million ballots have already been returned. Um, one, of, one of the important things that came out just in the last couple of days is that the Secretary of State said that all of the counties must start counting those ballots and putting them through the machines today. And so on election night, we will know who won the U.S. Senate races, as opposed to what happened in the presidential election cycle, where they allowed ballots to come in even after the election. And I believe they they fraudulently sent in hundreds of thousands of votes in, in through the absentee ballot process. Um, that's not going to happen this time. And the Republicans will be there verifying every single signature that comes across the desk of of those absentee ballots. Our PAC, the Committee to Defend the President, has attorneys on the ground all across the state helping with that effort, helping the RNC with that effort. The RNC is spending $15 million um, to make sure that this is a, a fair and clean election and that no illegal votes are counted. This will be a nail biter. Um, as you know, the presidential election was a nail biter. It was a difference of twelve thousand votes. So um, we've got to make sure that we get every Republican voter out. 
Um, what our PAC is best at is mobilizing Trump voters. And, and we have identified tons of Trump voters that typically vote in presidential elections, but they don't vote in off-year congressional elections and certainly not in special elections. So we are targeting those voters and, and, and encouraging them to get out and vote and sending this ad directly to their homes through direct uh, digital advertising. So we're focusing on that. And if we can get those people out to vote and um, get these senators, Leffler and Purdue across the finish line, then I believe we will save the republic. Hey, Ted, do you think this is all too little too late? Because all these aggressive measures that you're talking about, the RNC are taking all of this. Do you think this just should have happened with the presidential? And if it did, I mean, because there was a lot of money being spent. Do you think this is all deja vu all over again? Do you think people are going to be discouraged and feel like their vote might not count just like it happened in the presidential? Well, I think we were up against a, a wall in the presidential election when you had the Secretary of State and the governor fighting every effort to re stop the all-mail ballots from being abused. And the, the administration went to court and the, the court said that um, you haven't been harmed because you haven't had the election and you haven't proved that you've been harmed. And and so those those lawsuits all across the country were thrown out. Then when the election was actually had, uh, done and there was harm, they said you should have brought these cases forward beforehand. Um, so it, it's kind of a catch-22. But now we know what the issues were, and they have been fighting with the Secretary of State and fighting with the governor. And I think that this will be a much more fair and honest election in the in the U.S. Senate race. And, and that's why the RNC and our organization is spending millions of dollars to make sure that it is fair. And we know that the president is pushing to the very end, but it is very likely looking at this point that it will be Joe Biden sworn in. What's next for your PAC? Because your PAC is called Committee to the Defend the President. I assume you won't be there to defend Joe Biden. Are you going to change your name? What's next for you guys? How do you live in the Biden world? Well, honestly, I'm not giving up yet. I, there are still several court cases that are going to be before the United States Supreme Court. We we have state legislatures across the country that are still having serious investigations and are looking into the um, the voting machines and how they changed votes in various states. Up in Michigan, in one county where Biden won by 3,000 votes, after three different recounts and doing a, an autopsy essentially on the voting machines, Trump won by 4,000 votes. That's a 7,000 vote swing in one count, county in Michigan. I believe if we were to legitimately look at all of these counties in all of these swing states, I think there, there will be proof that there was voter fraud in, in all of these states. And the Supreme Court, if they're going to do their job and uphold the law, and 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 verify that these states cannot be certified, then it will go to the House of Representatives and the House of Representatives will have to determine. I think we have a long way to go in a very short time period, but I'm not giving up hope that the Supreme Court will actually do their job. If they don't, then I think there's going to be about 70 million people in this country that are going to question whether we are still a nation of laws or not and whether the, the, the US Supreme Court has any validity whatsoever, because this was a stolen election, in my opinion, and it is in the minds of about 70 million people. 
All right. Thanks so much, Ted Harvey. We appreciate it. Chairman of Thank the you. to defend the president. Stay tuned, folks. We've got the president of the Michigan Conservative Union coming up next. He's going to give us the lowdown on what's happening there in the land of the lockdowns. Stay with us, folks. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Hey there. Welcome back here to the water cooler. I am not David Brody, but I am doing my best to fill some very big shoes. And joining me is Tom Norton. He's president of the Michigan Conservative Union. Hey there, Tom. So Tom, let's David. talk about this news as far as what we're hearing from Anthony Fauci. Now, apparently, According to an interview he gave with the New York Times on Christmas Eve, he says that he altered his public scientific estimates based on opinion polls. And basically what he's saying is that he admitted that he lowballed the estimate for herd immunity for the threshold. And this is based on, uh, you know, on the heels of an acknowledgement that he misled on the efficacy of masks. What's your read on this? When he's sitting here talking about Moving the goalposts in the articles, I my read on it is that Fauci is just a part of the swamp. He wants to sit there and he wants to try to change the public opinion as much as he can. Uh, the mainstream news knows they have a captive audience, so does he, and I think he's in on it. And uh, the problem is that as you go through everything, you can't move a goalpost on mass. You can't move a goalpost on that. You don't go into a game and sit there and say, instead of 100 yards, we're going to add 200 yards. So when it comes, though, to the incoming Biden administration, because President Trump is going to be pushing this to the very end, but it does look like it will be a Biden White House. And Biden is choosing to keep Dr. Fauci on as his chief medical advisor for his administration. Do you think this undermines the credibility of such a high officer for him when you see Dr. Fauci basically admitting that he, in many ways, could you use the word lie, misled, choose your poison of whatever word, he chose to tell the public one thing when he believed something else. Well, when you see Joe Biden keep Dr. Fauci on, um, the problem is Fauci at this point does need to be dismissed by President Trump, I think, before he leaves office. And if, Fauci, if uh, Biden brings Fauci back on, that just shows the lack of credibility that Biden had to begin with. So I, I think it's not going to so much as diminish it, but amplify uh, a Biden administration not knowing what it's doing from one day to the next. I mean, Joe Biden barely knows what he's doing during a conversation. But when it comes to just this issue of specifically public trust, do you think this New York Times story could hurt him at all? I think it does hurt Fauci completely, but Fauci lost credibility when he sat there and changed the story on the mass. Now, changing the goalposts on the, uh, on the actual herd immunity is something that's also ridiculous. I mean, if you just look up herd immunity, it, it takes place anywhere between 40% and about 85% is traditionally herd immunity to begin with. He could have just stated somewhere within this margin is our herd immunity for the COVID virus. And if we would have actually let the virus kind of go without 
with just human restrictions to begin with, with the six feet and sanitation, I think the virus would have gotten out a little bit more. We would have had a little bit more herd immunity. It wouldn't be as bad as it is, is right now. Right now it's worse in the spring. And so his credibility is already shot with having strike two on him. But as far as Biden, because Biden has says that he, that he wants to trust science, that his decisions will be based in science, that his administration will follow science and trust science. That's their, their famous buzz phrase. What about trusting science when it comes to the scientists that don't seem to be consistent? Well, the scientists that aren't consistent, it goes like this. Fool me once, shame on, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. And that's what's going on at this point in time. We're not using a basic human common sense of some of these scientists. There's scientists that are out there that have had it right from the beginning. There's basic science that we do know from just past experiences of what to do and not do. For instance, biological warfare is something that's taught in the Army. It's taught in the Marine Corps. It's taught in the military. And we didn't approach this with any type of that common sense of the sanitation and everything else. There is a laid out plan that has existed since World War I by most countries to sit there and address biological agents. And a virus is a biological agent. So we could use basic eighth grade science and address a lot of the things that happen with the virus. So I don't see where we need to move goalposts, why these individuals keep doing it, why they feel like they have to permit, permit frauds on the American people by blatantly lying to them instead of telling the truth from day one. People would be less frustrated and trust their government more if we could trust what is coming out of the mouth of the individuals across here. That's where Fauci's fundamental big problem is actually at when we get into it. So when Fauci's getting up there and changing his story repeatedly, if, if Biden keeps him on, it's just Biden showing us that he doesn't know what he's doing. So let's leave a doctor in place who really doesn't know what he's doing when it comes to science either, unless it's based upon a public poll. And you're there in Michigan. You're the president of the Michigan Conservative Union. Your governor yeah. out there has been the poster child for lockdowns. Do you think this <laughs> undermines her case yeah. that she tried to make over and over and over again for shutdowns because you have the king of shutdowns, Dr. Fauci, arguably, now saying he he didn't want to, uh, he basically was changing what he was saying, sticking his finger in the wind uh, to make it go based on that rather than actual science. I, I would say that our governor didn't have a plan to begin with, and Dr. Fauci sticking his finger in the wind, as you said. I mean, you take a look at a couple different states. Let's look at Florida. Florida is pretty well fully open. Florida's virus is not spiking as quick as some of these western, Midwestern states and blue states. When you shove people like a Petri dish into one room, you're going to get them more sick. That's what they are doing with supermarkets, gas stations, everything else. Restaurants are by far safer than going into a Walmart or a Meijer or a grocery store of any sort. But the governor likes to shove people and herd them in there and make it so that these stores can't sanitize as fast. And her say, saying that she's getting her advice with Dr. Fauci shows the level of intelligence when we're not putting enough resources to actually sanitize by spreading it out so everybody can take care of it. I mean, with her shutting everything down, one, you're killing jobs, suicides are going up. They only care about control and power with this virus. They're not, they're not actually looking at addressing the problems of getting the PPE to hospitals and some of the other assets that are there. I mean, our, here in Michigan, our governor, we actually have PPE setting up at Camp Grayling that the National Guard has. Millions and millions of pieces of PPE that have been sitting there for a biological and chemical attack. And our governor never even used her own resources 
and then try to blame President Trump. So she didn't have credibility with me to begin with or anybody that I know of in the conservative union. So her adding Fauci to her list of credibility is just going to make it a little worse. All right, Tom Norton, we're going to leave it right there. All right. Thanks so much. And that's Tom Norton, the president of the Michigan Conservative Union. I happen to love his Tiger King posters behind behind him. I haven't actually seen any of the episodes of you. Let me know on Twitter. We'll be right back with more Water Cooler. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Hey folks, welcome back here to the water cooler. Let me give you my take on the last step. Now I'm no David Brody, so apologies to you all. But I did want to highlight something from earlier in the show, and that's Dr. Fauci. This, I believe, could very well be a fatal blow for him in terms of his interview that he gave with the New York Times, where he basically admitted that he was saying one thing publicly while he believed another thing privately. What did that remind me of? It reminded me of Hillary Clinton when she was giving her Goldman Sachs speeches. She said there is a public point of view and then there is a private point of view. Well, guess what? That's what got her out in 2016. The American people don't like it when people, their public officials are not transparent, when their public officials are not trustworthy. We saw this. Doctors have now responded to this. I've been doing reporting here at Just the News about this. Dr. Jay Bhattacharya, he's at Stanford University. He created, he co-signed and co-created the Great Barrington Declaration that has been pushing back on the lockdowns. He gave me the statement about Dr. Fauci, about what just happened with the New York Times. He said that Dr. Fauci's apparent willingness to mislead the public in support of his preferred policy objective should disqualify him from providing public policy advice in any official capacity. Dr. Fauci's advice throughout the epidemic has ignored the science regarding the devastating psychological and physical harms of the lockdowns, to which he seems utterly blind. For a policy advisor, science should inform policy preference, not the other way around. I've also got another statement here from another physician with Yale University. His name is Dr. Harvey Risch, and he says that I don't believe that Fauci has ever provided unvarnished, truthful advice. He was responsible for the needless deaths of 17,000 people in 1987 to 1989. He was referring to the AIDS crisis, and and Dr. Uh, Rich here at Yale has said that Fauci also has manipulated the NIH review panels to control FDA review decisions that have led to the deaths of more than 300,000 Americans. So you have his doc, his colleague doctors here being very critical of Dr. Fauci. It will be very interesting to see whether he can keep his seat at the table there now that he has apparently the ear of the incoming president, Joe Biden, who wants to keep him on as the chief medical advisor to the White House. Assumably, this was because Biden wanted to keep Fauci, who was seen as pushing back on Trump in his White House. Now they'll see if public outcry could push back on Fauci. Of course, we'll keep you posted on this. Stay tuned for more of The Water Cooler. Whoa, sweet man cave. Thanks. Serious upgrade. How'd you pay for all this? I got a home equity line of credit from Figure. I was approved in five minutes and had funding in five days. Wow, that fast and easy? Yep, the application is 100% online, plus no out-of-pocket costs, just fast access to the cash you need. How do I get started? Go to figure.com and get that serious upgrade. 
Figure Lending LLC DBA Figure Equal Opportunity Lender NMLS 1717824 Terms and Conditions Apply Visit Figure.com for more information For licensing information go to www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org Hey everybody, welcome back here to the water cooler. I am not Zava Brody, but I just play one on TV. Uh, thanks for joining us here for the ride. My colleague Daniel Payne is here as well. Hey there, Daniel. Very good to be with you. Thank you. Hey, thanks for joining us. So you've been looking at gun buying activity and how it's shattering records in 2020. You got lockdowns, you got riots, you got presidential elections, you got people who are upset. Is this a, just basically a metric of panic? Yeah, well, you know, so what we found when we looked at the FBI's data this year was that, uh, you know, they, they post updates every month as to how many background checks they ran in the prior month. And uh, as you pointed out, uh, uh, the numbers this year have just shattered previous records, not just overall. Uh, background checks are about 26 percent higher than the prior year, which is uh, essentially the largest jump. Uh, in the FBI's history, but uh, just on a month-by-month -month basis, uh, we are seeing huge numbers. Only one month uh, before this year uh, saw uh, background checks higher than 3 million. This year, there were multiple months where they crested 3 million. Some even got close to 4 million. So what we're seeing is almost certainly a reaction, yes, to the riots and the, the unrest that happened earlier this year, to the tension and, uh, and sort of expectations surrounding the presidential election. Uh, the fears generated by the pandemic, all of those factors almost certainly contributed to that huge increase. And what about training or laws to support gun owners? Because you have the McCloskeys. This was the case that went viral. This was the St. Louis couple. They bear viewers saw it. I'm sure unless you were under a rock, you did see this, this couple. It's a married couple. They were out there with their guns defending their own home because there were people who were with rioting and a mob basically showing up in their neighborhood, a gated community. And it turns out they are the ones being prosecuted for defending their own home. You think that a lot of these new gun owners might face a similar fate? Well, it really depends on, on the state and where you live. Now, there, there are many states throughout the country where guns are much more tightly regulated and the use or you know, defensive use or, or active use of them uh, is much more easier to prosecute. And the McCloskeys, as you pointed out, live in St. Louis and, uh, and gun ownership there is uh, you know, not as uh, easily attainable uh, as, as certain other parts of the country. So uh, really w what's important, I think, for gun owners is, is, is when they buy their guns to be well aware of their local and state laws that govern the use of them. All right, Daniel Payne, thanks so much. Thanks for having me, Karen. All right, folks, thanks for joining us here on the Water Cooler.